Good afternoon, everybody. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. You can also send a message through the KPL app chat. We will be a little bit looser on the phone lines. You call in, you have something maybe I've not talked about, but you want to bring up, absolutely feel free. Uh, it is the weekend. It is St. Patrick's Day. Just let loose because it's been a, it's been a very heavy week. Of course, a lot of the talk and the financial stuff, uh, a lot going on here just in terms of the governor's race. I'm going to get into a little bit more of that today, but uh, of course, if you want to call in, feel free to do so. Now, on the governor's race, uh, there's an interesting piece from Jeremy Alford in La Politics, uh, uh, the email he sent out today, and I think it's worth going over because he brings up some good points. I think Alford probably gives a little too much credit to Stephen Waggispack. But he is mindful of some things that I think we need to be mindful of as the governor's race continues to heat up. The title of his uh, his La Politics Weekly uh, email today, a GOP civil war. There are three important areas of inquiry worth exploring at this hour in Louisiana's developing race for governor. Number one. How strong will former Transportation Secretary Sean Wilson run in the primary? Will he weigh in at 30%? How about 40%? Either way, he's likely to finish in first place. Number two, can Republicans unite behind a single candidate? I think we all know the answer to that question, which brings us to our final and possibly most important area of inquiry. If Republicans are unable to unite, just how bloody will the resulting civil war be in the coming months? So we are now just under seven months away from Election Day in Louisiana for the governor's race. Um, We'll have the general and then we'll have the runoff in November. And it is obvious that there is currently some unease in the state Republican Party. Uh, tired of losing gubernatorial races to Democrats, the, G- the state GOP decided to get more proactive this time and cobbled together an early endorsement of the guy who had the most money and who had the most statewide recognition and who, frankly, has been polling near the top in any poll that you could have taken in, in terms of GOP support over the last couple of years, and that's Jeff Landry. Now, we knew several candidates were wanting to jump into that race, the state GOP went ahead and backed Jeff Landry. They've gotten criticism for that. I don't really care one way or another. I think for the Republican Party's sake, they need to go ahead and consolidate. But there are several figures in the Republican Party, politicians, who disagree and they want to go ahead and have this fight now. The issue that Alford mentions here is how is the party going to split up against uh, amidst its different groups? So there's several different groups at play here. There is the GOP political set. Uh, Included in that is uh, the congressional delegation. 
Stephen Wagaspak does have close ties with some of them, but so does Jeff Landry. Landry, uh, with the more conservative members like Clay Higgins and Mike Johnson, but Wagaspak, according to Alford, has uh, some close ties with Garrett Graves and Julia Letlow. You also have a division in the donor class. It used to be that the donors would be behind the scenes uh, directing their money and supporting the candidates, trying to get a Republican victory. Now the donors are coming forward. They're stepping out. I mean, you had a press release last week of donors that were announcing they were staying with Jeff Landry and pouring their resources behind him. I mean, one of the donors, Eddie Rispone, decided enough was enough and decided to run last time. So the donors are becoming more vocal and more involved in the state. So the donor class is kind of splitting up because, again, Wagaspak has the ear of the business uh, the business uh, interests in the state. Jeff Landry has the ear of the conservative activist bunch. And the donors seem, at least from what you're hearing in the rumors, seem to be a little split on that. I wonder, though, just how split they actually are, given that you don't really have a whole lot of people talking about leaving to go support Waggis Pack. Uh, the last rumors that we'd kind of heard were that they were either sticking with Landry or maybe they would donate to both just to hedge their bets. But last night in Baton Rouge, at an event that Landry's campaign was touting as right in Waggis Pack's backyard, Landry held a fundraiser that, from what I've heard according uh, of the whispers in the background, they raised 800000 for for him and his pack. So Landry's still drawing in a lot of money. I think that Alford here is probably giving the Waggis Pack faction a little bit too much credit. But consider the Republican Party in the state of Louisiana is really at a crossroads right now, kind of reflective of the crossroads that the greater GOP throughout the country is at. But the Republican Party in Louisiana is kind of at a crossroads. You have essentially two factions here. You have the Jeff Landry faction and you have the anybody but Jeff Landry faction. Now, I've been on the record, including when I filled in for Moon uh, last week, I've been on the record as saying the anti-Jeff Landry faction, if they really want to have a shot at taking down Jeff Landry, they need to cut out the foolishness. They need to consolidate behind one person. Nobody's officially filed yet. You, you don't officially file until a couple months before the election. But they've built their campaigns. They've, they've built their election teams. But any of them can back out now, and it's not really going to hurt a whole lot if they back out now. They just look and say, okay, the field's too big. Let's go ahead and consolidate. So if they want to beat Jeff Landry, they really should be talking amongst themselves. Schroeder should be talking to Hewitt, should be talking to Nelson, should be talking to Wagaspak. They should come to some sort of consensus. And their donors, their supporters should be urging them to do that. Say, you guys don't, you have this many people who don't like Jeff Landry, don't want him to be the next governor. Y'all got to figure it out amongst yourselves. Jeff Landry's people know that's not going to happen. And Jeff can ride in on a plurality amongst Republicans. But here's the problem for the GOP overall. You can make it into the top two and go into the runoff. Will the Republicans consolidate behind Jeff Landry in a, in the runoff against Sean Wilson? Because Sean Wilson is 
polling at around 30 percent right now when all the Democratic voters consolidate together. He's probably going to get somewhere between 33 and 36 percent. Which will definitely have him in the runoff, if not in first place going in, because the Republican vote will be split amongst five different people. That leads to the GOP having to work overtime in the last month of the election cycle, trying to get everybody behind one candidate. If the Republicans do what they've done the last two election cycles and they train all their fire on each other, nobody is going to really be able to touch Wilson. That's going to be the biggest problem they've got. Nobody's really going to be able to touch Sean Wilson at that point because they'll all have been spending their resources on each other. Wilson will not have had to spend a whole lot attacking them, so he'll be able to hold his fire until the runoff. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. Right before we go to our first break of the day, let's jump to the phone lines. Hi, welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show. Who's on the line? Hey, good afternoon, Joe. Thanks for my call. Hey, thanks for calling in. Hope you had a good week. I'm trying. How about you? I can't complain, Joe. Joe, can't complain. <laughs> Listen, bro, before uh, we get into today's topic, how about a big shout-out, big attaboy, and big huge thumbs-up to Coach Marlin, the whole – UL basketball staff and the whole UL basketball team on a great season. Unfortunately, they ran out. I didn't see the game, so I can't say nothing. And I'm not going to play Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> Maybe just ran out of gas or possibly didn't get the right call. But they, you know, they, they didn't quit. No, they, they did not. I, I did watch the game. Actually, when I get back from the break, I wanted to go into that a little bit or maybe later in the show. But, but I, yes, I, I watched the game. And they, they played a great game. Uh, the second half was a little rough for them, but they, they played a great game. So, yeah, absolutely, congratulations to the Cajuns. They did a phenomenal and job and that, really represented and, uh, well. Like to a good friend of mine, a uh, former high school partner of mine, I think th- uh, this past season is a building block into years to come. Oh, absolutely. Today's topic, uh, today's topic, uh, Joe, listen, mm-hmm. uh, look, look, I, uh, I'm a huge supporter of you, Moon, and everybody on KPL, but, and, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, kiss up the moon, but he is right. Uh-huh. He, he is right what he said about this week. You know, we can't have infighting. We can't have what we've been having the last uh, couple of governor's races. Oh, God, no. And I have, I have a, uh, I don't want to be ugly, but I'm being real. If I was Jeff Landry or John Schroeder, Sharon Hewitt, that's who I'd like to see if Jeff Landry doesn't get the nod. Yeah. Doesn't, uh, you know. Doesn't get to make it to the runoff, but we all have a good, cautious, optimistic feeling. Jeff Landry's going to be the uh, the mm-hmm. front runner. Yeah, but in, regardless, they need to put the issues aside. Let's go against John Bellows' voting record and Sean Wilson, mm-hmm. who is a Joe Biden and a uh, John Bellows puppet and a fraud squad porn star puppet. Mm-hmm. So that's who the, that's who the enemy is. Yeah. I think you're right. They they absolutely need to train their fire in the right direction. I just worry, like you put, said, put given the, the given the history. Yeah, given given the history of the past two election cycles, I'm not sure that their yes, egos sir. are going to let them be able to put it aside. Right, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but let me just say a quick note. I caught the tail end of the Mooney Monster show, and uh, he had one of his partners uh, from New Orleans on there, and he brought up a good point about Wagaspak. Mm-hmm. He, when he was in charge of Lobby, he had an opportunity 
the challenge of, you know, Bobby Boucher on his voting record when he was in charge of lobby. He didn't. And that's what that's where Jeff Landry, John Schroeder, and Shannon Hewitt need to attack Wagner's back at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and, uh, and if I was uh, if I was Jeff Landry, John Schroeder, Sharon Hewitt, I watch my watch your cover your back, watch your ass when it comes to uh Wagner's back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Let's go ahead and take this break. 232-1542 if you want to call in, join, or uh, be part of the conversation by sending a message through the KPL app chat. Lots more coming here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show. Here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to call in or send a message through the KPL app chat. Lots to uh, continue going on. I'm sticking with the governor's rights, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into uh, the Cajuns uh, and their performance last night a little bit later in the show because uh, I do have thoughts on that as well because they they did a phenomenal job. But before we get there, more on the governor's race. Um, I I would be fine with almost any Republican that's in the race right now. I think my two least favorites of the declared Republicans are going to be Sharon Hewitt and Stephen Wagespack. Nelson, I think, brings some great ideas to the table. John Schroeder, I think, is a fairly solid conservative. Jeff Landry, you know he's going to fight on the issues that matter to you. I don't have a favorite amongst those three. I prefer the three of them versus the other two. But I don't have a favorite. And even if I did, I may or may not share them with you. I don't know because I, I, I can't find a favorite in them. I, I know that most people are probably listening and say, well, Jeff Landry's the guy. And I agree on paper, looking at the numbers, Jeff Landry's the guy most likely to win. But in terms of who I like, it's a bit different. But the Republican Party, not the party structure, not the party apparatus, but the Republican voters in the state have to make a decision based on the person and what they're going to do and not based on who they dislike. I know somebody who minor consultant work for Republicans in the state. This person very proudly declared that they were not voting for David Vitter back in 2013, 2015. And four years later was very, very proudly working with the Responi campaign. So one of the people that voted for and, and admitted voted for John Bell Edwards turned around and said, I'm going to to work with and support Eddie Responi. And when you're voting against someone, that's not enough. You can vote against somebody because you don't like them. That's fine. Or you can refuse to vote. I've done that several times because I didn't like any candidate. But if you're making your decision based solely on who you don't like, It's not an informed decision as much as you voting for 
who you think the best fit for the job is. There's a difference between voting against and voting for. And more people need to be doing the latter, regardless of who your preferred candidate is. All right, bottom of the hour news is up next. Your calls, more info here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. I want to turn your attention to nationally probably one of the most important stories of the day. A group of Silicon Valley executives, including investor Peter Thiel and Washington lawmakers, are quietly mobilizing against China's involvement in the U.S. tech industry ahead of TikTok chief executive Zhou Zhi Chu's Capitol Hill testimony next week. They plan to meet for a private dinner on Wednesday to discuss China, national security, and the intensifying competition between the tech sectors of the U.S. and China. Mr. Chu is scheduled to testify the following day. Momentum against TikTok is building. The U.S. government and a succession of other Western countries have blocked TikTok on government-issued devices. The Biden administration has demanded that TikTok's Chinese owners sell their stakes in the, in the video-sharing app or face a possible U.S. ban, the Wall Street Journal reported on Wednesday. Mr. Chu said in an interview with the Wall Street Journal that divesting TikTok from its Chinese owners doesn't offer any more protection than the plans TikTok has already proposed. Spearheading the effort to create the bipartisan bicoastal alliance of China hawks is Jacob Helberg, a former Google policy advisor who is the newest member of the U.S.-China Economic Security Review Commission, a a congressional research and advisory panel. Mr. Helberg also serves as an adjunct senior fellow at the Center for a New American Security, a think tank that specializes in national security issues, and a senior advisor at Stanford University Center on Geopolitics and Technology, which is dedicated to research on global competition. One of Mr. Helberg's priorities has been to meet with lawmakers in Congress every couple of weeks to urge them to ban TikTok. That's from the Wall Street Journal. Now, there's this. Over at, uh, originally from Forbes, this is being reported by, uh, this is a breaking news piece from uh, National Review. The Justice Department is reportedly investigating ByteDance, the Chinese-based company that owns TikTok, over allegations that it has been spying on American journalists, including several tech journalists. The DOJ's criminal division, the FBI, and the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia opened the investigation late last year after ByteDance acknowledged that it had inappropriately obtained the data of U.S. TikTok users, including two reporters, Forbes reported. Emily Baker White, a Forbes journalist who said ByteDance used her TikTok account to track her location in an effort to find her sources, reported Thursday that the FBI and DOJ are investigating the situation. ByteDance admitted to the surveillance after an internal investigation, which led to the firing of Chris Lepitak, the employee who oversaw the team responsible for the surveillance. The news comes as the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. ordered Chinese owners of TikTok to sell their stake in the company or face a potential U.S. ban. 66% of ByteDance is owned by international investors, 20% is owned by employees, and 20% is owned by its founders who carry disproportionate voting rights. 
This is not just a story about TikTok. Yes, TikTok gathers an incredible amount of data. And yes, despite that, a lot of despite knowing that even because it's not exactly been secret. Uh, new, multiple news reports, multiple uh, exposés, multiple investigative pieces, uh, multiple warnings from government officials have let us know that this is the case, that it collects your information. I've admitted to being a TikTok user. Um, the algorithm is very specific for me. It takes me to cooking videos and stupid memes. But I also understand the amount of data that it is collecting, that it is not actually a safe amount of data that it is collecting. I'm just a social media junkie. But this is as much about, actually, this this is in part about TikTok and the dangers it presents, but also in a larger view, this is the U.S. government and the tech industry finally standing up to China, which is a good thing. China is a hostile global power. And the Biden administration and the Trump administration and several administrations dating back a while have not taken China seriously enough. The U.S. government in general has not taken China seriously enough. There are loads of national security reasons to not to to be taking China seriously. There's a lot of intellectual property reasons to take China seriously. China is notorious for hacking into systems and stealing the intellectual property of Americans and then trying to quickly put out a patent so they can patent it and make all the money off of that innovation. They constantly try to do that. In fact, one of the uh, one of the ways we know this is if you'll recall back in back early in the COVID vaccine days, like during the pandemic. Do you remember there was a theory that was going around that uh, COVID was manufactured? We know this because uh, one of the vaccine makers had a patent that included uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, on the patent work. If you remember that story, uh, it it. it Flew a little under the radar, but there was a lot of people who were very anti-vaccine who were warning about that. Well, as it turned out, what had happened is that that vaccine, the, the materials in that vaccine were being used as medicine for something else in the formula for something else. And the Chinese were basically trying to rip off that formula and pass it as their own vaccine for COVID so they could take all the credit for it. So this company had to go in and update their patent to include SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19 virus, so that the Chinese would not be able to infringe on their patent. So we know that China is frequently trying to steal the intellectual property of Americans and American companies. We know that they are a national security threat. They are constantly trying to infiltrate U.S. systems. They drop a lot of money as investments into U.S. systems. One of the big problems with the Silicon Valley Bank deal right now is that a lot of Chinese money was in there, and those Chinese companies are getting bailed out by the U.S. taxpayer. But if the tech sector is coming together and recognizing the threat that China poses 
and they are working with Washington, D.C., that's actually a good thing. I realize Silicon Valley and I realize the tech sector, not exactly the most conservative groups out there. In fact, very hostile to conservatives. But even a broken clock is right twice a day. Unless it's a digital clock, in which case it's, well, digital clock, if it runs on military time, is right once a day. Otherwise, also right twice. But I'm getting distracted. Um, Sorry, my brain just kind of twitches out like that. Anyway, the point is, even a left-leaning tech sector and a left-leaning government bureaucracy can be right on the issue of China if they decide to take China seriously, which it seems that they are doing. Inherently, that's a good thing. If the tech sector is realizing that China poses a major national security risk, an intellectual property risk, and more in terms of the data harvesting and things like that, then they're working toward the right goal, which is to try to divest U.S. interests from China. Consider one of the biggest companies in the tech sector is Apple. Apple is slowly trying to move a lot of its business out of China, a lot of its manufacturing out of China, and actually to Taiwan, which seems a little bit silly considering that China is trying to invade Taiwan. But they're trying to move their interests out of China because they recognize that China is a threat. And they recognize that China, as much as the left likes to talk about the human rights abuses of America, China is actually 100% violating human rights on a daily basis. And it's not just the Uyghurs. It's across their country. China is routinely actually suppressing human rights in their country. The Chinese Communist Party, the People's Republic of China, the government of China is routinely, daily, hourly, by the minute, violating human rights. And Apple recognizes this and they're moving out. Now, some American companies don't want to. The NBA is not going to unless they are told to by the U.S. government, and nobody's willing to make that decision for the NBA yet. The NBA and Disney and some of these other mega corporations in the entertainment industry love the market share in China and will even uh, bend the knee to Chinese censorship in order to make it happen. But the tech sector is one of the most powerful sectors in the United States because of what it does, because of what it makes, because of what it innovates. The tech sector has a lot going for it in terms of the influence they can wield. And if they're using their powers for good, I'm fine with it. If they're using their powers to influence Washington, D.C. to take this more seriously, I'm happy about it because we do need to be holding China accountable for all of what it's doing. So probably the most important story of the day that's really flying below the radar in a lot of different uh, news for a lot of different news organizations is this. The Wall Street Journal reporting on it that tech and the U.S. government are coming together to combat China. That is a good thing. All right. Two, three, two, 1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, when we come back, we close out the show. I do want to talk about the cages. I want to talk about. Uh, their performance last night. It was a great game, and we'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. 
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation here in the last bit of the show, you can also send a message to the show by going through the KPL app chat. So the Cajuns last night ended up losing 58-55. Uh, had the lead uh, at one point for a good chunk of of the first half. Um, Tennessee, I mentioned yesterday when I was talking about the game, uh, Tennessee's offense is nothing to write home about. But Tennessee has a very good defense. And in the second half, that made all the difference. Uh, you know, they were able to uh, they were able to hold on. Um, the Cajuns did a very good job of fighting to come back on several occasions last night. And you, you shouldn't think of it as the Cajuns' loss. You should think of it as the Cajuns represented very well uh, in a lot of ways last night. I think the biggest part of the game, and when I wrote the the preview of the game for, for KPL965.com, and I, I mentioned like the five keys to, to the successful upset, one, a part of one of it was going to end up being um, the Cajuns really need to make sure that Jordan Brown does not get trapped, that he's able to move the floor, he's able to produce on offense, because that's really going to stagnate their offense if he can't do that. And for a good portion of the second half yesterday, that's that actually ended up being what happened in that case, is uh, they they pretty much when he got the ball, uh, they would start swarming him, and so it would really shut down the ball movement and the production on offense for the Cajuns. That was a pretty big deal. Uh, but the, otherwise... I mean, uh, did not make any three-point shots in the first half and then started lighting it up in the second half and really, really came back, made it a very close game. God came so close there uh, at the end, and just unfortunately they weren't able to upset Tennessee. Now Tennessee moves on to face Duke, and it's kind of the same situation where I don't think Tennessee's lack of an offense is actually going to be something that helps them no matter how good their defense is. Unless their defense can completely shut down Duke, I don't see Tennessee moving on beyond the second round. And a lot of folks had Tennessee going fairly far in their brackets. I just don't see that because they have too many injuries. Their offense has been fairly stagnant. And it's just going to be a continued problem for Tennessee moving forward. Take nothing away from Tennessee. They did a good job last night. Take nothing away from the Cajuns. They did a phenomenal job. Again, this is my favorite time of year in sports. I love college football even more than college basketball, but this is honestly like the best time of the year in terms of sports. It's just a lot of fun to watch. Anyway, before we go, a couple other things to uh, mention in the news today. Silicon Valley Bank it turns out the Federal Reserve had been investigating them more than a year before they collapsed. And the Fed did nothing. The Fed knew there were risks. The Fed knew that there was a problem with Silicon Valley Bank. And they did nothing about it. When the Democrats and the progressives tell you we need more regulation on the bank industry, the Fed knew there were problems. They knew 
that Silicon Valley wasn't doing what they were supposed to do. If Silicon Valley Bank was not going to do what they were supposed to do before any new regulations got introduced, if they weren't going to do what they were supposed to do with the rules that were there, with the oversight that was there, what makes anybody think that Silicon Valley Bank was going to accomplish any, was was going to do any better under new regulations? The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter how much oversight you put on any of these banks, the banks are going to continue to act the way they do because they don't get any oversight. And in fact, they get bailed out constantly by the federal government. The government loves to bail out these industries. They love to bail out these big financial institutions. They love to bail out big corporations. They do not like paying any attention to Main Street. They do not like paying any attention to the little guy. The Federal Reserve knew that Silicon Valley Bank was undertaking extremely risky practices, and they did nothing about it. But they get bailed out. They, there's no compulsion to act any better. Because the government wasn't going to do anything. And in fact, they knew that they would get bailed out if they screwed up because they were one of the largest banks out there. It is just frustrating. It is frustrating to have to sit here and be told by the left that we need more regulations on big businesses, big banks, big industry. And they don't actually follow the regulate. They don't enforce the regulations they've already put on all of us. All right, I'm done for the week. I'll be back on Monday. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, and email Joe at RedState.com. The podcast of this show, always up on JoeCunninghamShow.substack.com, along with my columns each and every day. Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5. Y'all stick around. Talk to you again soon right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.